0: First Steps to Strategy The first step in formulating a strategy is to achieve clarity about the objectives, means of engagement, obstacles, and resources at our disposal. These four components are interdependent, and some of them are subject to constant change. Particularly, obstacles and resources. Objectives are what we hope to accomplish. In this case, it is our personal, individual, and exclusive participation in a society where the only legitimate foundation for all interpersonal interaction is that of voluntary agreement. It is a personal participation because we as physical, mental, and moral beings partake in it with all our aspects not just in some abstract sense. It is an individual participation because every member of such a society must decide for himself whether to partake in it or not. It is exclusive because we prefer to live as part of a voluntary society and not as part of a coercive society. Means of engagement are the abstract rules that govern our actions in order to achieve our objectives what actions are permissible and which should be avoided. Since our struggle is an ethical one, our means should be in unison with our objectives, namely to refrain from all non-voluntary interactions. This means that the resources we employ must be only those of our own property, that we abstain from fraud, limit the impact on uninvolved parties, and that we refrain from any violence that is not in self-defense. Since the claim of self-defense is often abused, another rule should be included as a guideline to stay away from sources of conflict where we can be falsely accused and to avoid points of conflict where opponents are likely to attack, requiring violence on our part. Before we look at the obstacles we face, Some notes on our resources will be useful. From our rules of engagement, we are limited to our own bodies, property, and time in achieving our objectives. This puts us into a less fortunate position than our opponents, who can command what they do not own, which is exactly what we are working against. Watering down our rules of engagement in this area would thus result into a weakening of our objectives or even lead to missing them entirely. This has been the case with several historic attempts to create liberty which led to a replacement of the rulers, but not the system of rule, or that used terror to stabilize the new order. However, using our own resources also allows us to be more flexible in their application since we do not require processes of command and obedience to distribute them, This frees us from complexity and allows for the rapid implementation of tactics. So, we can expect to be more adaptable than our opponents, so long as we do not introduce new distribution schemes for resources and actions. We can and should focus on forming an entrepreneurial environment for tactics and let them refine each other in the marketplace. But, for a marketplace to work, we must be prepared to reward entrepreneurs for their superior products and services, not just through respect, but also with tangible material considerations, money, etc. Contrary to our opponents, our strategy employs the time-tested roles of entrepreneurs, customers, and investors. This is fundamental because it creates a situation in which people who are unable to contribute through their supply of services or products are able to contribute through the investment of time or money in products that will help us all achieve our objectives, and maybe even profit. What are the obstacles we face? This is an area of much confusion and disagreement. Let us explore this in some depth. Obstacles We have already concluded that our objectives are opposed by a majority of the population as well as the ruling class. It is, however, necessary to analyze the specific methods by which our objectives are opposed and which means are employed to keep us from reaching our goals. Humans are spatial, social, and cooperative beings. We occupy space that no other spatial thing can occupy at the same time. Our bodies need to be somewhere. They need to be sustained. We are also social because we require interaction with other humans. We want to communicate. We want to learn from each other. We want to procreate. While we are the only thing in the space we occupy, we also need to interact, to be viewed and view other humans around us. We define and achieve social status through interaction and observation and use it to find out how to prevent conflict, to solve conflict when it occurs, to create institutions of interaction and symbols to identify friends and foes, and to optimize our communication. Since we also live in a scarce world, and cannot do every necessary thing alone, we also engage in cooperation, specialization, and trade. These characteristics of human life constitute the frame for most things we do, but also provide the means for our opponents to keep us in chains. Throughout history, those that oppose liberty have developed and cultivated a complex and refined science on how to keep populations under control. We are not referring to a secretive group of social planners, but a set of techniques that are shared not only by the rulers, but by those parts of a society that profit from coercion and the comfort it brings. To understand this science, it is beneficial to look at how our various aspects, spatial, social, and cooperative, are exploited. It is necessary to understand that the state and the systems of the world are not spatial. Though the state claims geographic control, the state itself cannot occupy any of it, since it is not a physical entity, it is a social concept of control. The only way the state can interact with the spatial is through its agents and proponents as well as anyone conditioned to represent or call for it. It is individual humans that must intrude into another individual's space to deliver any kind of force, whether it be direct or indirect. When not applying force, the only other option for the state to act within space is through its agents, to observe or surveil the space of others. Cultural norms of the mainstream society and most of its subcultures reward pro-state behavior while they punish non-state behavior. While this is not yet true for all parts of the cultural code, it is increasing, often without us noticing it. There are numerous examples of this method. The method most often suggested for problem-solving is to call the police, to always obey the state authority, to use convenient methods of payment, credit cards, etc., to make every payment an official legal tender, national currency, get a good job, petition for your representatives, work within the system, pay your fair share of taxes, adhere to the current definition of political correctness, or simply to not make trouble. All of these codes of conduct focus on a single goal, to integrate into a society that is led, organized, and enabled by the state. Alternative views are quickly labeled a waste of time, not practical, unrealistic, utopian, eccentric, or even treasonous. Interwoven with these codes are values that most people are accustomed to use when judging their neighbors. While many soldiers today partake in wars that should realistically be called unjust and therefore a crime, they are not met with disgust for choosing this career. Policemen that enforce unethical laws, often with unethical methods, are not excluded from our comradeship, but instead called our finest. Tax collectors that objectively conduct armed robbery, are not called out, but identified as doing their job. In the end, everyone is just following orders. In addition, a wide variety of symbols are used to identify people as being respectable. Some of these are styles of clothing, status symbols, licenses, membership cards, use of language, and laughing at the right time. Together, these codes, values, and symbols form societal expectations and identities. The function of culture, and any fundamental variation from them, is met with rejection or even outright hostility. It is very important to understand that these codes, values, and symbols are highly interconnected and form an integrated body of culture which makes it very hard to successfully break out of this scheme. If we change only parts of it, it is easy to be dragged back into the old ways by many parts that are still tied to the larger culture. Ideally, this need not be so, but as a practical matter, it usually is. However, breaking away from mainstream culture and its various subcultures leaves the dissenter as a tolerated eccentric at best or an unwanted troublemaker at worst but it also puts the individual in the position of having no social integration which is required by most of us simply for mental survival but worse than this is being removed from cooperative functions of society many institutions of our society were originally created to streamline cooperation between individuals. Since then, however, they have been taken over and remodeled to support state dominion. These institutions are numerous, and we will only list the most important ones here. Money and Banking Systems Property Titles Identity Papers, Passports, etc. Licenses regulations, and insurance, law enforcement and security, legal system, courts, correction and punishment, education and media, communication, energy and transportation networks, charity, now what is called welfare. Each of these institutions and services are tightly controlled by the state. Access and provision are limited to those that are not perceived as enemies of the system and those that follow cultural norms. These systems are necessary for successful cooperation between individuals to satisfy the needs they cannot satisfy alone. It is by regulation, licensing, and cultural dominance that access to, and the provision of, these institutions and services is regulated always with a tight integration of surveillance and punishment. Though there are always cracks in this control that allow people to slip through, the main occupation for legislatures and bureaucrats appears to be to search for and close those cracks. To create a system in which these institutions, combined with a matching culture, provide a totalitarian tool set and mold each individual Under the dominance of the state system, cultural codes, values, symbols and systems, and institutions of cooperation enable the state to become a spatial entity through its agents, proponents, and dependents. Culture forms the base for active consent, while access control of institutions creates a soft force to keep the subjects in line. The benefits of compliance outweigh the risks of dissent. This supplies the state with the individual people that project its force into the spatial realm through their actions. This starts with simple social exclusion of dissenters, continues with snitching and inviting the state agents into situations where they are unwanted, and ends by using force against dissenters. The interwoven aspects of culture Institutions, profits from redistribution, and the longing for stability form the foundation of the power of states and assure lasting consent, both passive and active, for this system of domination. We call the totality of this system the first realm. Please keep in mind that we are here talking about the system of domination, not the specific implementation. Or parties running it. Thus far, attempts to change this system have, at most, changed the faces running the show, but have never fundamentally changed the game. Although we may call the population's support for this system unethical, misguided, stupid, or even evil, it is nevertheless a reality that must be faced clearly. Our challenge is of an enormous magnitude. This is why previous strategies have failed to achieve much lasting change. Conclusions We can thus draw the following conclusions. 1. Spatial. We have to find or create territory, space, in which no agent, proponent, or dependent of the state is present or can deliver force in any direct manner. With the exception of outer space, and maybe the higher seas, it is unlikely that any territory that is not preoccupied by agents of the state can currently be found. There is no point in trying to create such a territory. 2. Spatial We have to protect and defend the Territory of Liberty against state surveillance. Surveillance is the precursor to force, whether direct or indirect. Otherwise, what purpose does it have? 3. Spatial We must minimize the need of free men to enter territory that is occupied by agents of the state or surveilled by them. 4. Institutional It is required to form independent systems of cooperation that are formed on the ethics of liberty and that are not dependent upon or connected to institutions of control, masquerading as institutions of cooperation. 5. Institutional We cannot rely on any state-dominated institution to form the basis of our interactions or our own systems. 6. Institutional Any interaction with state-controlled institutions must happen by proxy and with the uttermost separation to limit any damage that can and will occur. 7. Cultural We need to create and nurture our own culture based on the values defined by the ethics of liberty. Eight. Cultural. Our culture cannot be a simple sub- or counter-culture to the state-dominated mainstream culture. It must be an independent counterculture. 9. Cultural. We require our own cultural symbols for mutual recognition, to optimize communication and social ordering, as well as to support separation from the culture of our opponents. 10. Cultural The cultural codes and norms of liberty must support both the integration and nurturing of free men and the exclusion of state agents. Our strategy for liberty is the creation of a culture of liberty, a society that occupies its own protected space and implements independent systems of cooperation. We need to create a second realm. This task may justly be seen as monumental, and the stakes are high. However, it is most definitely attainable. Several groups have achieved these precise objectives in the past, and were often able to sustain their systems for centuries. The only major difference between those successful cultural entrepreneurs and free men is that we are more restrained in our rules of engagement. Nonetheless, even this can be used as a lasting advantage. Anarchy is the free grouping of men into societies of their preference.